The following has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com. I want to welcome you here this morning to Amarillo Fellowship, and uh, some of you may not know who I am. I'm Stephanie Woodard. I am an executive pastor here on staff. I've been on staff for a little over six years. Love it. Not everybody can say that they work with their best friends, but I do. I love our staff. I'm also married, my high school sweetheart, Ronnie. And uh, we have two amazing boys, Nate and Jordan. Nate will be 19 in about a month. He is, you know, outdoorsy, very broad, thick, you know, kind of a manly man. You know, he's just tough. And then Jordan, who'll be 12 this week, he's, he's my cuddle bug. He's my little sunshine, you know. And Nate is too, don't get me wrong. But um, Nate, you know, is more of the art. I mean, Jordan is more of the artsy, loves to um, sing and, and play instruments. And he loves all that. In fact, he was cuddling with me this morning. He came and gave me a big oath hug. And I thought, oh, how sweet. He's coming to just give me some encouragement and to love me before today, knowing I had to speak. And he gives me this big old hug, and then he looks at me eye to eye, and he says, don't mess up. <laughs> so I guess his reputation is on the line here. <laughs> um, you may look at me, and um, maybe you've judged me. I mean, we judge each other all the time, right? You kind of think about what their life is like, and you may have thought about my life. My life has been pretty easy thinking about me. Uh, you may think, oh, she doesn't have very many, fa- very many trials. She was raised in a good home. But that is not the case. I was actually raised, if you've heard my testimony before, in a highly abusive family. I was living in constant fear, and this is what my life was like. And so, it hasn't always been good and rosy for me. Now, I look at my life now, and my life back then, and God had rescued me out of such a deep, dark pit. And I thank him every day for by his grace and his mercy and his love over me that I'm able to live a different life. But even after rescuing me out of that life, my, my life has still been full of trials. I think we can all relate to that. We all have trials in our lives. If you're human, you go through trials. <laughs> we always have something going on. Well, I'm going to speak today in James verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, James 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You may think about your life and think about your trials. I want to talk today about how to get through trials, how we can fight, because if you're in, in a trial, you know it's a fight. As a mom, all of us moms can relate, childbirth is pretty hard, <laughs> pretty crazy. 
You know, you have all these mixed emotions. Um, maybe you had an easy pregnancy. Maybe it was a hard pregnancy. Um, then you get into the hospital, and you're going through actual childbirth. And I'm going to tell you, your emotions are all over the place. Um, you have your baby. You're filled with joy, but you have so much pain, right? Moms, you can relate. <laughs> well, um, childbirth, my oldest, was horrible. It was excruciating pain. I thought I was going to die. I don't know if there's any moms out there who can say, yes, I seriously thought I was going to die. So when Jordan, my youngest, came, God was so good. He gave me such an easy childbirth. It was just marvelous. I was like, oh, (laughs) I could do this tomorrow again. You know, it was so easy. The hospital stay was easy. Coming home was just wonderful. Our family was so happy, filled with joy and excitement, and everything was so good. Then it hit. About three days after I came home, I started feeling really tired. It was more than just being normal tired from childbirth. It was more of a um, something was going on in my body. I started feeling sick, started feeling like something was wrong, and I didn't know what it was. I wanted to cry all the time. That's typical with moms, I know. But called the doctor, and he said, I think you're going through a little bit of postpartum depression. I'm going to prescribe you some antidepressant. And so started taking that. Well, that wasn't working so much. Um, after t- about two weeks of taking that, I'd actually become completely and totally psychotic into a very severe postpartum depression. I, trying to do everything, because I'm normally a very happy person and filled with joy and excitement, so I knew I needed to do something. This isn't me. There's something going on. I actually was telling people, I feel like something has taken over my body and I can't control it. And so um, I had that, I had Ronnie pray over me. You know, he's a godly man. And so I wanted my husband to pray over me, and he did. It didn't help. I had the church leaders come and anoint me with oil and pray over me. It didn't help. I even had deliverance. <laughs> and if you've been through deliverance, <laughs> that didn't help. Um, I played worship music in my home. I was doing everything I could think of to get rid of it because what I was living was not livable. Actually, I was thinking death was a much far better reality than what I was living through. And so um, I was telling my family something's wrong. They knew something was terribly wrong. Um, I told Ronnie one night I was completely out of it. I wasn't eating. I wasn't getting dressed. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't taking care of my baby. And I told him, please don't leave me tonight. I'm so scared of what I might do. So him being a great husband and wanting to fix me, He said, I'm going to call the doctor. So he called the doctor. The doctor said, go straight to the emergency room. We went to the hospital. By this point, I couldn't care about anything. I was a shell of a person. I was extremely, extremely depressed. And um, it was, I, I, I don't even remember going to the hospital, honestly. I was back at this point. And so we get to the hospital. The doctor's ran their test and talked to me and blood tests and all that kind of stuff, and they told me what we knew. I was in postpartum depression, and, but they knew it was very severe, so they wanted to admit me to the local psych hospital, and uh, I was, okay, let's go there, and uh, I didn't care about anything. I just thought I wanted to escape this. I wanted to run away, and Ronnie said, no, you're not going there, and so him being the loving husband, you know, we went home, 
with lots of medicine, <laughs> and um, he took care of me. I was so hopeless. I was in an area in my life that was so dark. It was the worst time of my life ever. And uh, I have a good ending, though, to my story. You know, about six months after that, going through um, lots of medicine, I had a great team of doctors. I actually had a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a nutritionist, <laughs> and a loving husband who took care of me. And then by the grace of God, I was able to come out of that about six months later. No more medicine, no more doctors, and was able to take care of my kids. So it's a great story. But you know, when I was going through that, I wasn't thinking, boy, this will make a great story someday. <laughs> I was actually thinking, I want to die. I'm so hopeless. I actually wondered where God was. You know, it all sounds so hopeless, and maybe you've experienced something in your life where you felt so hopeless. But there always is a good ending. There's such a nice story being on the other side. I'm able to share my, my experiences with other women who've gone through the same thing and, and minister to them. But it was the hardest, hardest season of my life, and I don't want to do that again. But I've noticed, looking around, that everyday people are surrounded by hopelessness. Some have financial hopelessness, the thought that I will ne never be able to pay these bills. I will never be able to get out of debt. Some have relational hopelessness, a sense of this unhappy situation I am in can never be changed, can never be reversed. Some have career hopelessness, stuck in a day-to-day -day job that you absolutely despise. But given the market in today's times, you see no way out. There's a sense of hopelessness being stuck where you're at. We can feel so fragile. It's possible you're feeling fragile now, or maybe you felt fragile in the past. But I'm going to position us today with some strength. God has armed us with a sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible. When we are in a battle, whatever your battle is, we should fight from a position of strength and a position of victory to understand who we are in the battle. Because whether you know it or not, you have been entrusted with an invincible, eternal weapon, and it's time that we learn how to use it. Although it's good to get into the Word and read it on a daily basis, it's no longer okay for us just to read the Word. We've got to use it. We've got to speak it and to live it. We need to use it to set people free and not beat them up. We should use what God has given us, the Bible, His promises and His truth, and speak it in our circumstances. What happens a lot of times when we're in a situation, something that happened where we didn't expect, we have a knee-jerk reaction. And you may relate to having a knee-jerk re reaction to one of your circumstances in the past. But instead of thinking about it and processing it and bringing it to God, we tend to freak out, scream, cry, moan about it. That's our knee-jerk reaction. Well, last summer, my family went away on a relaxing family vacation to the mountains. We love to go to the mountains. We love camping, four-wheeling, riding dirt bikes, all that kind of stuff. Well, um, it was the day after we got there, a group of them went go riding, and um, Haley and I were back at the camp, we're playing cards, and um, we see a group of them come in, and it's Jordan, my youngest, and he's riding in with some others, and he slips, there was some, it was wet, and he slips and falls, and his dirt bike lands on top of him, and Haley goes, oh no, he's hurt, 
And so, you know, me being a mom, I'm, I'm like, what? And so I turned and look, and Jenna is, who we were with a whole bunch of other people, she picks him up, and she's carrying him to me. And he's, I'm trying to think, he was 11 at that time. I was like, how old is he? So he's old enough to walk on his own. So I'm thinking, oh, goodness, he's really hurt. So I run up to him. Are you okay? Are you okay? And lo and behold, he was fine. You know, he just thought he was hurt, but he wasn't really hurt. And so, you know, my gut reaction, my knee-jerk reaction was to freak out, you know, and go see who, how he was, but he was okay. So we go back to camp, and we're back to playing cards. Well, the second group, about an hour later, comes back from dirt bike riding, and um, it's my son. He's yelling, guys, guys, guys. And, you know, it didn't sound too alarming to, about anything, so I didn't freak out this time. But uh, he kept saying, guys, guys, I'm thinking he saw a bear or something. He's real excited about it. So I just get up, and I'm walking, and he jumps off the, the ranger, and he comes over to me, and he's holding his hand, kind of cupped like this. And he says, I need to go to the emergency room. And, I mean, it was just kind of like, I need to go to the emergency room. And I'm thinking, what did you do? And so um, I said, well, what's going on? And he you know, he moved his other hand, and he showed me, and his finger had literally been pulled off. And so I freak out. <laughs> and um, from what I was told, because I don't remember much of this, I'm saying, oh, my God, 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 oh, my God. And I just couldn't, and he goes, Mom, Mom, slow down. I need to go to the emergency room. And he says, I need some ice. So I'm, I calm down. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I'm mom. I'm going to take care of the situation. I'm going to go get him some ice. So I run over to the cooler, grab a handful of ice, and come, and I dump it on him. And I'm like, there. And he says, no, I need a baggie of ice, and we need to go to the emergency room. So luckily I had a friend there, Brooke, that she, she said, calm down. I'll get him a bag of ice. You just calm down. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I don't know what, I'm trying to process everything, and I'm trying to think, what does this mean? What do we need to do? You know, we are in the middle of the mountains. Taos is where we need to get, which is normally about a 40-minute drive from where we're at. And I'm thinking, that is not close enough, but we need to get there. Ronnie comes in about this time. We tell Ronnie what's going on, and he says, let's go. So we stop being good Christians and pray over everything. That did not help. <laughs> I'm still freaking out. We get in the car. We're driving as fast as we can to Taos. And uh, we see the DPS officer. Woo, woo, woo. And uh, I'm thinking, this could not get any worse. This is horrible. Are you kidding me? And so my husband jumps out of the car real fast because he, my husband's in law enforcement, so he knows that you can't just jump out of the car. They're going to shoot you. So he jumps out and puts his hands up. And he says, listen, i got to get to the hospital. My son's hurt. And the DPS officer, being real nice and gentlemanly, said, I don't care. You get back in your car and you drive good. You're not driving. You're driving erratically. You're putting your family in more harm than good by driving that fast. And my husband said, you don't understand. I'm, fixing to, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm going to drive fast. I've got to get to the emergency room. DPS officer says, I don't care. You know, again, you're, the way you're driving is erratic. You're going to cause more harm. And so my son gets tired of hearing all of this. So he just rolls down the window and sticks his hands out. So the DPS officer goes, oh, okay, yes, you need to get, okay, follow me. So he gets in his uh, car, and, you know, we get a, a police escort into Taos emergency room, and, which was amazing because we got there faster than we probably could have. And so we get to the emergency room, and we're running in, and uh, we tell them what's going on. And what do they say? 
we need you to fill out this paperwork. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? My son needs immediate help right now, and you're asking me to fill out paperwork. Yes, you need to sit down and fill out paperwork. So I sit down. I'm filling out the paperwork. I don't even know if you can read what I wrote, but I don't care. So we get that done. We get into a room, and they take a look at it, and uh, which is probably about this time is probably about three hours after it had happened. And so um, they take a look at it, and they said, well, there's nothing we can do more than stitches. And you need a little bit more than stitches right now. So you need to go to Albuquerque, which is another two-and-a-half-hour drive. So I'm thinking, we can't drive. That he's, you know, he's lost all this blood. I'm losing blood from my head. So um, they said, no, we're going to airlift you into Albuquerque. So Nate and I, it was a little plane. Um, we get into the airplane. It could only hold so many people, so it was Nate and I in there. And let me tell you, Nate was very brave and very calm, and they were giving him medicine, but he kept telling me, Mom, I'm going to be okay. Are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. And the paramedics actually asked if I wanted some of the drugs <laughs> because I was freaking out. And then here I am in a plane going around the mountains, you know. So um, all this time I was crying out, why, God? Why? Aren't you supposed to protect us? Aren't you supposed to take care of us? And it was my knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes we can have a knee-jerk reaction to what's going on in our lives, whether it be a bad medical report, a bill that came in that you didn't expect, someone said something about you that isn't true, one of your kids are hurt. The knee-jerk reaction would be to stress, worry, cry, get upset, lose sleep over it. I did all those things. (laughs) Who all in here have seen the original 1980s Terminator movie? Yes, awesome movie. Well, the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's a story about Sarah Connor. She is a, just a regular person. Uh, she, you know, rides a moped. She waitresses. And, and uh, um, the whole gist of the story is that Arnold Schwarzenegger, her, the Terminator, has come to assassinate her or any of the Sarah Connors that's in the world. So as he comes and kills them, he marks the name off the list. Well, he comes to this Sarah Connor. And at the time that he reaches her, her protector from the future also shows up, which is also Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he shows up and he says, Sarah, if you want to live, come with me. So she has a battle, you know, trying to think of who's really the good one here. But she decides, okay, he's actually offering me life, so I'm going to go over here. I'm not too sure, but I'm going to go over here with him. So she goes with him, and there's a battle and a chaos and fighting. And in the midst of this, when things start calming down, her protector begins to tell her who she is and what she's doing in the future, and that she's actually a hero. And uh, she's thinking about it, and she says, I don't see that. You know, I'm, I'm just a regular person. I haven't done anything. And he says, no, but you will. And so uh, the enemy of our souls knows who we are long before we wake up and realize who we are. It actually says in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How does he destroy you? Well, he kills you emotionally to where you give up, you get tired, and you don't even want to try. He makes you numb to life. He also kills you by stealing the word before you can use it. You know, the word does have power in it if you believe it and use it. And if you do that, you have won. If he can get you to doubt the word or not even know what's in the word, then he has basically killed you. Don't let the word 
God's seed for us to get snatched before we can learn, learn it. We need to discuss it. We need to meditate on it. When Pastor Richie preaches on Sunday mornings, before it can get distract, you can get distracted and it, the word is snatched from you, go home and me- uh, talk about it. Discuss it with each other, uh, what Pastor Richie is preaching. The attacks on your life have much more to do with who you are in the future than who you've been in the past. Verse 2 in James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Count it pure joy. That kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. You know, when I was being abused as a child, I didn't count it pure joy. When I was going through postpartum depression, that wasn't joy to me. Especially when my child was hurt, I was not joyful. (laughs) You don't want to count it pure joy. But our God sees trials as a means to show himself strong. And let me tell you, he did show himself strong. He rescued me out of a deep, dark pit. He gave me strength every day when I was in my depression to get just enough to get through every day. And he also showed himself strong in my son. My son, you always wonder whenever you raise your children up in church or you tell them about God, you wonder, are they really getting this? Are they listening to what I'm saying? Are they they picking it up? If they go through something, are they really going to cry out to God and, and look to him? And when we were going through this, when his finger got pulled off, you know, mom and dad were freaking out. And we were keeping it together for him, but we were freaking out, and he knew. And he kept telling us, it's going to be okay. God's got this. He has a big plan for me, and this isn't going to deter anything. That's more in my heart, means more to me than anything else, to know that my son knows who God is. We all had questions. You know, it took about, um, I think, about eight hours after um, his finger was pulled off. It was actually hanging off by a ligament and part of the skin. And so about eight hours later, we had to make the decision of whether to sew it back on and keep it, which they told us was not a very good outlook. Um, It probably wouldn't actually. His blood vessels, there's too much blood that was lost. His blood vessels were actually dying And so, or to actually just snip off the rest of it wasn't much to snip off. And so, Nate, that was the only time he cried. He just shed a few tears because he had to decide to lose his finger. And it's his right hand, pointer finger, and he's a shooter. So, you know, that's pretty important to him. He was wondering how he was going to hunt, first of all. Second of all, he was going to wonder how he's going to ride his dirt bike because that was real important with riding your dirt bike. (laughs) So, but he decided to go ahead and, and... snip it all off and, and get the rest of it stitched up. And, but um, even though I wanted to collapse, Nate never doubted. He knew God had a great plan. Verse 5 in James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The scripture is talking about when your life is crashing in all over you, who do you call out to? Verse 6 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. When you call out to God, do you call out and then still worry, still doubt, or keep crying? God is creating an atmosphere in our circumstances so we can bloom under pressure. How many of you have raised or grew a garden, raised plants in a garden? Some of us in here. Well, if you know, I did when I was uh, 
a kid, we always had a garden in our backyard, but one of the things we loved to grow was tomato plants. And if you know anything about tomato plants and you've grown tomato plants, you know that as they're growing, you've got to whip them. So it was my chore to go and get a switch off the tree and actually lightly whip the, the tomato plants. If you do that, they will produce more buds and stronger, better tomatoes by whipping them. We are caused to bloom under pressure. When everyone else is faltering, we as Christians are supposed to actually rise up. When everyone else is caving, we should be gaining strength. We are in a day and time where we shouldn't look around to get direction. We're going to have to look up and look to God and look in the Bible for his direction. How do we do that? Whenever you're going through, everything that you go through, the Bible has answers and we need to use them. We know the creator of heaven and earth. When we speak words that have been formed in heaven, and you know, these words have been formed in heaven, they are released here on earth. We have power with our words. We need to be a people fluent with the language of heaven, which is the word of God. Proverbs 18:21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. This is our weapon, our words. When we align our words with God's word, we are calling into light our life victory. Here's some examples of maybe something that you might be going through. Financial trouble, you can look up Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you're going through depression, Psalms 16, 8 and 9. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. If you need protection, Psalm 91, 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, and my shield. So let me ask you, when you're finding yourself in the middle of a battle, what do you speak? Who do you speak to? Could it possibly be that when you're speaking, you're speak, you think you're bringing it to God and you're actually bringing it to 10 of your closest friends and when they can't do anything about it, you're thinking God's not doing anything about it? You know, God wants us to speak swords into the atmosphere. Today we had amazing worship. Worship, when we worship and we sing those praises out, we are speaking swords into the atmosphere. We need to understand the power we have with our words they form swords, and we need to stand on the word, believing the word, asking boldly, and speaking boldly. Don't pray according to your environment. Pray to change your environment. God is looking for a people who will say what they have yet to see. It's the language pattern of God. When he speaks, something is created. The enemy also have, has a language pattern. When he speaks, he speaks lies and fear. We need to speak the truth rather than echo the lie. When we speak God's word, which is his pattern, which is his will, he will watch over it and he will perform it. Don't believe everything you think. Our minds are pretty deceiving and will get us to think something that's not true. That's why he says in Proverbs 4.20, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Do you know what's in your heart will eventually come out? Matthew 15, 11, Jesus is actually talking to the Jewish leaders, and they're debating about food and what's clean and unclean to eat. And he says this, he says, um, What goes into someone's mouth isn't what defiles them, 
But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. So what comes out of your mouth actually will go back into your heart. And that's how it works. What's in our heart will come out of our mouth, and what comes out of our mouth goes back into our heart. You can say sometimes, uh, maybe you've said this in the past, well, I just speak what I feel. (laughs) Well, that's okay as long as you realize that you're going to feel what you're speaking. Verse 6, it says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in what they do. We shouldn't be like the rest of the world. Whatever happens, whatever we see on the news, what our government says, we get fearful, we get anxious, we worry about it. We sh- fear, doubt, and anxiety should not drive our lives. We need to stand strong, but it is a choice. Some of us just need to stand up, pull ourselves together, and move on. Sometimes we think it's a lot worse than it really is, and we're struggling, trying to get to the other, st- other side, wondering if we're ever going to make it. Well, one year we went river rafting, another camping trip. And I don't go river rafting because of this trip. So we were river rafting. You know, before you go river rafting, they actually tell you all the do's and the don'ts. And if this happens, you need to do this. And, you know, kind of a safety class. And so um, they told us, if you fall out, which is very possible because we were riding some pretty um, high rapids, um, if you fall out, don't freak out. It's going to be cold. But if you stay calm, you'll actually float back up to the top. And they said, as soon as you do, you need to swim as fast as you can to the other side because the current is real strong. And if you can't get to the other side, the current will actually take you downstream. And uh, you'll just have to wait for the river raft to come pick you back up. So uh, we were rafting, and of course, we got stuck. And I, my son and I, my oldest, fell, um, fell out of the raft. Well, it, when you're hit with that cold water, you just, you know, you just lose all your wits. And so I'm thinking, my son, is he okay? And I look, and he just, he swims right across. No big deal. So I'm thinking, okay, it's my turn to swim across. So I'm swimming, and 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 I'm getting tired, and I'm cold, and I'm getting more tired, and I'm looking, and I'm not gaining anywhere. I'm still where I started. And I keep swimming, and I'm starting to freak out a little bit because I can't get to the other side. And so I notice as I'm swimming, I'm not only not getting to the other side, but the current is starting to drag me down. And I am really freaking out. I'm beginning to lose hope. I'm beginning to cry and kind of hyperventilate because I can't get to the other side. And about that time when I think I'm about to lose it, I hear this real loud from the river raft. Just stand up. Sure enough, I was in waist-deep water. I just needed to stand up. In reality, it wasn't near as bad as I thought it was. (laughs) But what I thought was a hopeless situation um, wasn't so at all. What I thought and what was real was completely different. But because I was freaking out, I couldn't see what was real. Your circumstances may seem too big at times, too. It may seem impossible. You may be so tired you can't go anymore. You'll wonder if you'll make it. God sees it, and he says, just get up. You've got this. If you're a Christian and given your life over to Jesus, you have a great destiny waiting for you. You are anointed and marked for greatness. No matter what you're in the middle of, 
Maybe there's a relationship that needs mending. Maybe there are bills that need to be paid. Maybe you have a dead-end job and feel stuck. Don't lose hope. Remember what's on the inside of you and remember what God is saying to you. No fear, you can get up. But more importantly, remember what God has for us. And we need to speak this into our circumstances. Back to Nathan's finger. He is fine. Nate is fine. He actually has a nub, and we call him Steve, and Steve dances. And uh, he has jokes for kids. He got, the kids will ask, how did you lose your finger? And he says he was picking his nose. So um, he has a lot of fun with it. But he never lost hope. And we need to be people that remember what God has spoken over us. So today, um, we're actually going to practice that. On Sundays, we always here at Emerald Fellowship, we start off our Sunday services by speaking declarations over us. This is something that is so good to do every day, but especially when you're in the middle of a trial. You need to speak declarations over your lives. So I'm going to ask everyone to go ahead and stand up. We're going to speak these declarations You got him over here? Okay, so let's start. God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ. God's word is truth. God's word is alive and active in me. Now, because of what Christ has done, I'm highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. It's amazing. Well, as we stand here together, armed with the sword of the Spirit, I want to pray over us. So if you'll go ahead and bow. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com.